Hi, I'm the Ish Girl, and you are listening to episode 31 of Connection Not Perfection. Welcome to Connection Not Perfection, the podcast that helps parents and teens connect using literature, laughter, and love. Hey there, I'm Amy, also known as the Ish Girl, and I am so glad that you're with me today. Now, before I get started, I just wanted to thank all of you who've joined my new private Connection Not Perfection Facebook group. I am super excited to get to know all of you and to watch our parenting community grow. And if you haven't joined yet, I would invite you to do that. All you have to do is go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash connection not perfection and of course I will have a link to that in my show notes so I can't wait to meet you there now speaking of parenting stuff that's online I have been exploring a lot of resources lately and I've been looking at the different online parenting courses and programs and all the information that is out there and I have to say it's been super interesting Now, one of the things that caught my attention recently were some things that were advocating connection before correction. And the example that I saw a lot went a little bit like this. I love you and the answer is no. So in parenting your kids, it's kind of trying to make that connection before you then offer some correction or um, discipline or what have you. So What may surprise you about my thoughts on that is that that concept of connection before correction, when it comes to our teens, really kind of rubbed me the wrong way. So if you're not familiar with it, it's the idea that if your child feels safe and heard and significant, it's going to be easier for their brains to process the correction you're trying to teach. Because If they don't feel safe, heard, and significant, then their brain is probably in that whole fight, flight, or freeze state of being where they can't really learn anything. Now, for me, what I feel like is that connection before correction is probably a great idea when you have littles, like like smaller children or elementary age children. But when it comes to teens, I feel like they are pretty quick to pick up on the different strategies you might be using to get them to fall in line, right? And if you're like me, it's pretty typical of your teens to blast right through your strategies, call you on it, and then try to convince you that they don't need to change their behavior or that they should get to do whatever it is that they want to do, or they shouldn't have to do whatever it is that you're asking them to do. So you kind of get the picture. So they really do, if if your teens are like mine, and maybe they're not, but if they are, and and I do think this this is developmentally appropriate, Teens are going to push the limits and try to make sure that our boundaries hold. They want to first, I think they want to do what they want to do and they want to, you know, try to convince us and make things go the way that they want them to. But also, I think they're really a lot of times just testing, like, how far are you going to hold that boundary? Do you really mean what you say? Are you really going to back it up? So that is why for me, when it comes to disciplining my teens, I really try to be as straightforward and as firm as possible and just kind of lay it on the line, like no fluff, no bones about it. Like just, I mean what I say, I say what I mean. And if I'm doing my job the way that I want to, 
then my hope is that they would already feel connected. And I don't necessarily need to remind them of it in the moment. So what it really reminded me of is when my kids were smaller, whenever we would go anywhere to the grocery store, say, or on a play date to a new friend's house, I would try to walk them through whatever expectations I had of them, usually in the car on the way to the destination. So it would be things like, um, keep your hands to yourself or use your kind words, or you're gonna need to help clean up afterwards. And so I, we started out when they were really young with me going over the expectations. And then we moved up to, all right guys, what are the expectations when we go to a new friend's house or, you know, that kind of thing. And then they would, they would you know, kind of, yell out all the things. Well, and I'm sure you can see where this is headed. There came a point when my kids really pushed back because they had outgrown my remind my reminders, right? So they would say, mom, we know, or you already told us this like 5,000 times. So it frustrated them. It exasperated them for me to bring up all those rules because they had grown past the point of needing the same kind of reminders that they had needed when they were younger. And really, as parents of teens, we really have to be savvy, right? Because if we're not, then chances are we're going to be throwing up a wall instead of building a bridge of connection. So when I really drilled down into why that whole connection before correction rubbed me the wrong way. I feel like the bottom line is that when your kids are teens and you use that strategy, it kind of feels like manipulation. And to me, that's connecting in order to produce a behavior in my teen. And that is icky, I feel like. So For me, I connect with my teens so that they feel understood, so that they feel validated and significant and valuable and loved and worthy of attention and a sense of belonging and so forth and so on. And also, if I am being brutally honest, because I really did think about this a lot, I want to connect with them so that I have a better chance of influencing them which I have to admit too, that that has the possibility of bleeding into manipulation if I'm not super careful. Because there's a fine line between trying to control my teen's behavior for my own benefit, which might be reasons like how it looks to other people or for my own convenience or comfort level or or whatever, versus influencing what's best for them, in, in, in my opinion, as a parent. So anyway, I meet weekly. Um, with an incredible group of ladies. It is a critique group and we share each other's writing and we give really constructive feedback on it. And it's just an amazing group. And we were actually talking about this idea of connection before correction recently. And we were processing what that idea meant to each of us. And one thing we all agreed on with connection before correction was this. The majority of time, When it comes to our teens, the correction actually needs to happen in us, the parent. Now, you may be saying, what? But hear me out, because there are a couple reasons we we thought that and that I thought that. And here's why. I think many times our teens mirror our own emotions. And so if we escalate in a situation, they escalate in a situation, or if we mellow, then they mellow. So if you think about when your kids were toddlers, and let's say they fell down, did you ever notice how that kind of split second right after they've fallen, 
a lot of times little kids will look to their parents to see how they should react. Did you ever notice how they just kind of glance up and look and see? And if you've ever watched that, and I challenge you to do that the next time you're in a restaurant or someplace where you're watching families with young children, if one of them falls and they look to the parent to see what direction they should respond in. And if the parent freaks out, then I would say 10 times out of 10, the kid freaks out. At least that's how about it happened with my kids, right? But if you, if for us, if we just scooped our kids up and said, uh-oh, kissed them and kind of assessed for any, you know, serious damage, and if there was none, we just kind of stood them up and sent them on their way, well, they were usually fine. I think it really did matter how we responded. We were teaching them how to respond. And I would say that same principle applies right now when your kids are teens. You influence how they respond to things. So if you respond to something stressful or hurtful or hard that is going on with them with a freak out, then chances are they will freak out too. Now, I will say, unlike the toddler stage, I would say it's a lot harder now that they're teens because a lot of times they'll start off with the freak out and then it's up to us to help them de-escalate, right? And that is where we have to correct ourselves, not our teens. Because if we get caught up in the emotion of the moment, which, hello, guilty party of one right here, that can send the situation spiraling no matter what it is. So you have to correct your own response first before you can work on connecting with your teen and helping them navigate whatever crisis they're going through, even if it's a crisis between the two of you. And that is so much easier said than done. Like, believe me, I know that. And it is especially hard for me to keep my grown-up brain turned on when my teen is freaking out on me or about me. And what I mean by that is, you know, like maybe they're blaming me for something or they're being really disrespectful or they're being negative or grumpy or unkind or, you know, all the things. Plus, I think I've also figured out that when my teens are in that kind of mindset, their goal is to keep me in that lizard brain. If they can get me to fight or even, you know, walk away, which would be flight, in a weird way, it's kind of a win for them or at least some kind of twisted satisfaction. And and I speak from experience there from both sides of that because I know I remember feeling that way with my mom when I was a teen. If I could get her to blow her lid, then even if I didn't go did not get what I wanted in the moment. It did feel like kind of like a small victory, which sorry, mom. And we've had this conversation. She and I have. So I hope you're laughing when you're listening to this because um, I know how awful that was. But again, it's part of um, separating and it's developmentally appropriate. But it's up to us as the parents to kind of be able to respond to that with uh, strength and calm and patience which, hey, none of us are perfect. So it's not always going to go that way, but that is kind of the goal and the ideal, right? So when I can keep my head on straight, I am usually able to remember that there's probably something underneath all of that bluster in my teen and staying calm will help me figure it out sooner rather than later. Or if I completely blow up, I may never know what's going on, you know, underneath all the layers there. And also, if I can maintain that calm, grown-up brain, it can prevent me from doing stupid things like yelling or throwing out ultimatums or consequences that I know I'll never follow through on. 
And and plus all those things, the yelling and the throwing out those consequences that kind of break trust, because if you say you're going to do something and you don't do it, even if it's a consequence, that kind of under you're undermining yourself. Right. So all those things can kill the connection that you have with your team. So that's why it's important to correct your brain in those situations. Now, the other way correcting myself is useful in a crisis situation is remembering that many times it is appropriate to let my teens handle their own stuff. Now, everyone knows what a helicopter parent is, right? Like the hovering ones and the parents who try to jump in and manage things for their child, even their teenagers, which might fly. Oh, see what I did there, which might fly, huh? when your kids are younger, but when they hit their teens, it's really time to start stepping back. And I will say one of the best things, when my son first started high school, the principal that he had that year made it very clear that a huge goal for the school was to empower the students to be their own advocates. And he made it clear to all the parents that that meant that when teachers received emails from students, those were going to be the priority emails that they responded to immediately. And emails from parents would come second after that. So whenever a kid had an issue, he urged us to have the student communicate first with the teacher or, you know, the counselor or whoever it was that they needed to talk to, rather than the parent charging in. And I felt like that was such a gift for me, for my son, um, for all the other students, and for the teachers as well. And I feel like the principal was gently, very, very gently, cr- and correcting us and readjusting our mindsets and shifting responsibility onto the students' shoulders, which, as far as I'm concerned, was super healthy. Like, I, I really appreciated that. So that is a kind of another way that you can check yourself and correct yourself is making sure you're not being that helicopter parent and you're giving your um, teen space to really step up for themselves, advocate for themselves. It doesn't mean that you throw them out to the wolves. Maybe you help them with the email or you, um, you know, just kind of sit with them in it and listen to them and help them strategize about how to communicate. So you're not leaving, you know, leaving them or hanging them out to dry, but you are letting them handle it where the rubber meets the road, right? So you're more coaching than you are taking care of it for them. Now, correcting myself can also look like really examining why I'm making the parenting choices that I'm making. Am I setting expectations and requirements based on what's best in the long run for my teens or what's most convenient for me in the moment? And I, and I will say, I, I really do struggle with this. And not long ago, and I can't remember when it was, but on BuzzFeed, there was a video of a mom who had littles and like probably preschool, elementary age kids, maybe not even elementary. I think they were fairly little. And she did this week long experiment that was hysterical where, and I'll try to find the video and post it. So it'll be in my show notes if I can find it. But she decided that for a whole week, she was going to say yes to everything her kids asked for. Now, within reason, obviously, like if they said, hey, can I go play in traffic? Like, obviously, that's going to be a no because it's a safety issue. But pretty much for everything else, she said yes. And she kept a video diary of it. And I just remember watching that and thinking, oh, my gosh, like, what would that look like if I did that with my teens? And 
the issue is I think they would catch on probably a lot quicker than those little kids did. I don't think the little kids ever, ever really caught on. And they did crazy things like they had spaghetti tacos and then they'd go play at the park kind of late at night and, you know, just all the things. But I think my teens are smart enough to figure out what was going on. And I would just shudder to think what that week might look like. Anyway, all that to say, it really did make me stop and think. Am I saying no to things because I think they're going to be too complicated or exhausting or inconvenient or, or, you know, whatever in the moment? Or am I really thinking about what's best for my teens or just what's easiest for me? And I think that I really do live in that spot of what's going to be easiest for me sometimes. I have to tell you that that truth kind of stung because I recognize that I do make a lot of decisions based on that easier button, right? So whether it's what's for dinner or watching one more Netflix episode or going out for an ice cream run at midnight on a weekend, you know, the things that aren't really character busting or crucial for their, you know, physical or emotional or even moral development, I tend to say no when a yes isn't easy for me. And so when I frame it like that, I see that saying yes whenever I possibly can swing it means more connection with my teens. And it means when I do say no, so if I'm saying yes to those kinds of things, when I do say no, it's going to mean something. It's not going to be like, oh, there goes mom again saying no to us and not letting us do what we want to do. And for me, that's been a huge correction and one that I'm not always good at maintaining and managing, but I am making the effort, I do recognize it and I see that. So while I get that connection before correction is super useful when, like I said before earlier, you have little kids, I do think that with my teens, I'd rather adopt a correction before connection attitude, one where I'm recognizing where my thinking needs adjustment and correction so that I can more easily connect with my teens. So please understand that while I am chafing against that whole connection before correction thing, that of course, that does not mean that I do not discipline my teens or correct their behavior. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that I'm shooting for authentic connection whenever and wherever I can find it. I want that to characterize me, right? So that I'm gathering up all the strategies that I can find and using the tips and tools and tricks that I find and watching for opportunities to use them to connect with my teens. And maybe it happens when I'm addressing a behavior or maybe not. Like I'm not going to just specifically not try to connect when we're in a a discipline type situation. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is I'm not going to think as I'm disciplining them, oh, I'm going to connect so that they do what I want. What I might do is say, oh my gosh, this is a really great moment to talk to them about what it means to um, forgive easily or, you know, or whatever it is that's that's in the moment. If there's a teachable moment there, I'm going to jump on it because I feel like that is the whole point of connection, not perfection, right? Like you try to jump on those um, opportunities that you have to connect. But The point is, if you're consistently seeking connection with your teen, it's going to characterize all your interactions so that when you do get to that discipline, point of discipline, then um, you're already connected. You don't have to do anything artificial or, or, you know, kind of posturing. So I'm the first to admit that 
I'm the one who needs correction in my parent-teen relationships. And that is humbling and sometimes a hard pill to swallow, right? But I know that if I'm not teachable or willing to make changes, how can I possibly expect my teens to be, right? So I would love for you guys to weigh in on this whole connection, correction, philosophy, or, you know, idea or theory. I guess that's what I'm saying. The whole connection, correction, theory, and idea. And you can do that by joining, I think I mentioned it at the beginning of the show, you can join my private Connection Not Perfection Facebook group. There's a link to that down in my show notes. Or you can go directly to Facebook to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash connection not perfection. And if you're feeling particularly generous today, I would so appreciate if you would leave a review of the podcast. It really does help other parents like you find the Connection Not Perfection resources, and it means that I get to serve more people, which is really the true longing of my heart, I would say, is I really want to be able to serve parents and families, teens um, out there. So. Thank you so, so much for hanging with me today. I really do get what a privilege it is that you've chosen to spend your time with me. And just remember from an ish girl who is committed to giving her teens more yeses this week, it is all about connection, not perfection.